in accounting. The Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. So I said, what can I do as a CPA? Because I really didn't even know what a CPA was. He's like, well, you could own your own business, work for another business, work for a nonprofit, own a small firm. And I knew immediately at that time that I wanted to own my own business. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Samantha Bowling, currently the chair for the Maryland Association of CPAs and also a partner with Garbleman Winslow CPAs. For everyone listening today, it's important to know that we accept suggestions for guests on the show. If you've ever had an idea that you'd like us to explore, simply email me at markg at whereaccountantsgo.com. We can't get everyone on the show all the time, but with most suggestions, we work them in pretty quickly. And I say this because Samantha was actually suggested to us by one of the listeners in the Washington, D.C. area. Thank you very much, by the way. And I am so thrilled that I was able to find out more about Samantha. There are so many interesting points in this podcast that we could have easily made three or four shows out of it. But that's something I'm going to have to consider working on later on because there were just so many great points. It was hard to figure out, you know, where the breaking points would be. So it's all here in one episode for you today. You're going to hear a great story of determination, of strategy, of tremendous service to the profession, and even a little pink hair. And yes, I did say pink hair. That part actually cracked me up a little bit. It came out later on in the interview, and it caught me a little bit by surprise. It's a first for the show. It's just too funny. Too funny. Well, Samantha really does have a cool career story, and she teaches us a lot along the way as well. I really do think you're going to enjoy this interview, and I think you're going to find a lot of meaningful insights for yourself, for your life, and for your own career. If you do find this episode is valuable to you, please check us out online as well. You can find us online at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials. We have books, we have blogs, we have other podcasts, and a few additional tools that we're working on as well. Once again, that site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Samantha Bowling. Well, hello, Samantha. Thank you for making time for the show today. Hi, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here today. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, we have Samantha Bowling on the line with us today. And Samantha is up in the Maryland area and is currently serving as the chair for the Maryland Association of CPAs. I've been wanting to extend past Texas a little bit where many of our guests have come from. Not quite all, but many of our guests. And actually, a listener suggested to me that Samantha would be a great individual to invite. So no pressure, Samantha. No pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm feeling a little pressure. <laughs> so 
seriously, though, I know your story of working your way up, you know, from staff accountant to owner, in addition to all your service to the profession, of course, is going to make for a very insightful story and just a real interesting journey for our audience. So I definitely want to get into all that. But I like to start at the beginning, like we do with everybody. What initially led you to think that accounting you know, might be a good career to pursue in the first place? Well, actually, I had an awesome teacher in high school. I was in 11th grade, and I took my first accounting class, or I guess back then it was really record-keeping class. I really loved it, and he encouraged me that for women, it was a great field to go into because there weren't a lot of women in accounting, but there were more and more going that way, and he thought that in the future, there would be more opportunity. And so I asked like an overachiever, well, what's the best place to be if you're an accountant? And he said, well, you'd have to be a CPA. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And then he was like, so I said, what can I do as a CPA? Because I really didn't even know what a CPA was. He's like, well, you could own your own business, work for another business, work for a nonprofit, own a small firm. And I knew immediately at that time that I wanted to own my own business, just wasn't sure what kind of business it would be. Wow. Okay. So you saw all the different opportunities in the beginning. That was a good teacher. Yeah, he was an amazing teacher and guided me really through my career. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, but he gave me a lot of great advice. Interesting. There are a lot of good accountants that got their start in a high school bookkeeping class. Very, very common. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very fortunate because most people don't even know what they're going to do when they go to college. So I I knew immediately, which is I was very blessed in that area. So did you start in college as an accounting major and just go straight through that way? Or? Okay. Well, actually, I went to a community college first because oh. I was the first person in my family to actually go to college and had to pay for that myself. So I went to a community college because I thought that would be a cheaper route to go for the basic classes. So I actually got a business management AA degree, and then I transferred to a four-year institution and actually got a full scholarship for Salisbury University based on my okay. academics. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm going to pause there. I didn't intend to ask about this, but that's interesting to me because I work here locally with some of the universities and it strikes me as the experience isn't necessarily you know better or worse. It's just different when you, you know, go through community college first and then transfer and there's just some extra things to figure out. How do you feel your experience was different between? Well, I felt you know, like... Huh? Going to community college first, well, first, that's a big change for a lot of people, and I was never gone away from home, so I was really relieved actually to be close to home before before I actually (laughs) went to college. So I thought there was more one-on-one working with teachers at the smaller institution than at the bigger college, and I also felt like I was more prepared when I went away to college. So like I had a 4.0 at CSM, which is College of Southern Maryland. And everyone thought, well, that's because you went to a community college. And I still graduated magna cum laude from Salisbury. So for me, I was well prepared to go to the four-year. What I was not prepared for was everybody had made their relationships because they'd already been there two years before me. So it was kind of hard to fit into the groups that were already made because they'd been there for a couple of years already. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I hadn't thought of that as a challenge, but yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what was your first job out of college or did you, you know, start as an intern somewhere initially? I didn't start as an intern. Usually when I was in college, I was working at the school, the library, whatever, not doing really a lot of accounting work. I was doing some bookkeeping work for a pizza place that I worked or like doing payroll and things like that as a manager, but not really a lot of detail accounting work. I really didn't have my real accounting job until I got out of college, which was at this firm. Right. Oh, okay. She, wow. I know, okay. right? <laughs> That's very rare. <laughs> I just have to get this on the record. How long have you been there now? 25 years. Wow. 
wow, okay. You know, I saw that online that you had been there for quite a while, but I thought, wow, there's probably an internship before that, or there was a first job and then this was the next one or something. (laughs) My gosh. Wow. So you started as an entry-level accountant? I did. Actually, I was very motivated by my interview process because actually a professor at Salisbury actually introduced me to a partner here as an opportunity because there was an opening. And I remember seeing this room with, there was probably three or four men in this room in my interview process. And they were like, so where do you aspire to be in 10 years? And of course, my response was partner. And they thought I was kidding. Like it was like tremendous amount of laughter in the room thinking, well, we've never had, and this firm has been around like 50 years at this point. We've never had a woman partner. And we don't really see that in your future is what they told me in my interview. (gasps) And I was like, well... So that actually motivated me. I was like, so I'm going to make sure that happens. So I always like when people tell me you can't do something, then I like to prove them wrong. Oh my gosh. Give us an approximate year for this conversation because that's 1993. Okay. All right. I want everybody to know that wasn't last year. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. And then, and I kept thinking, what century are we in back in 1993 that this would not still be happening? But again, also in small firms or actually even in corporate America, if you look at the women who are actually in executive positions, there aren't that many. Okay. How large was the firm at that time? Oh, there's less than 20 people. We've always been less than 20 people here. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, very small public accounting firm. But in our region, considered large because most of the firms around here are two, like two people or less, less sole proprietors. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the area you're in, is it a, a major metropolitan area? or? or yes, we're in the D.C. metro area. So we service, oh. I mean, we service clients all over the U.S., but we actually have, no, we're probably 20 minutes from D.C., you know, like a half an hour from Virginia. So we're all like this little melting pot here. Okay. Okay. And did you come up on the audit side or tax side or you do something? Audit, actually. So my direct partner that I worked under, back then you worked under one partner, he did auditing. So he was like the audit partner. So that's kind of how I came up. But I still do everything else. Audit, tax, comp review, you name it. Small firms pretty much do too much of everything, I think. (laughs) You're a a jack of all trades. Yes. Okay. Well, take us through your career. I mean, what were, I'm not exactly sure what points to ask about because you've been at the same place for so long, which is wonderful. But what were some of the high points or turning points that, you know, looking back now, you see that, wow, yeah, that made a difference? Well, I have to be honest. I did leave for three months uh, because of a relationship (laughs) issue. Like, I feel like I'm talking about the Me Too action. So I actually left because of that. And I worked for, a small like nonprofit and then decided I did not like that because everything seems to move so much slower in that world. And then I would actually was going to go out on my own and do my own firm or work for another firm that was closer to home. And then I decided, well, actually my partner found out that I was actually going back into public accounting and he asked me what it would take for me to come back. So my husband actually wrote a list of what it would take for me to come back (laughs) 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 because I don't think that, I guess, you know, you're so insecure about what you should write and what you're worth and will they really, you know, start acting appropriately and things like that, that that would, I never thought that would happen. So he wrote my demands. He's my biggest cheerleader. And I, because I'd been here five years after I left, and he, they called me and said, When can you start? Now, I would have never written any of those things on that piece of paper that my husband wrote back then. I'm today probably, but back then I would not have. So I came back to the firm and everything became wonderful again. And I stayed and then became a manager. My struggles as manager was, you know, moving up to become where I thought that they would think I could be partner potential. 
And they still didn't have that in their brains that I was going to be a partner. So my advice to everyone else out there is just really make yourself indispensable. So whenever there was a new project or a new software that nobody wanted to do, I was forced to volunteer. So I knew how to use every software, even if it didn't apply to what I was doing, I knew how to use it. So I got to the point where I knew more about the operations of the partnership than anybody else who was in you know, a partnership position. Interesting. Okay. Yes, and and that's a major accomplishment to become a partner at a firm of less than 20 people. It's not, I guess it's never automatic, but at the really large firms, you know, you stay around long enough and the chances are higher. You know, 20 people, there's only so much room for partners, I would think. How many partners do you guys have? We have two equity partners right now and then two consultants who actually retired. We actually have a mandatory retirement at 60 at our firm. So that way, it, it creates a succession plan so people, the younger people want to stick around because if they don't have a chance to be in charge, they're not going to stay you know, if they can't make decisions and make changes. That's kind of how okay. we do that. Okay. Wonderful. You know, it wasn't easy. I'm not going to say it was easy. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. But after <laughs> being here, <laughs> 11, I think it was, I was short my 10 years. I was so upset I didn't do it in 10 years. But after 11 years of being here, I became a partner and I got the office of the partner who told me I would never be a partner. So it's really exciting. Wow. Okay. Looking back on that time, I mean, you mentioned making yourself indispensable and it sounds like within the internal operations of the firm and knowing more about the how the partnership operated. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Okay. And how it operated and also how the systems that were used to get work done. Okay. Is there anything that you feel like you did on the client side that, that helped you progress over the years? Oh, customer service, customer relationships are definitely key. So being responsive and actually working for... So as a staff person, you work for a partner, you work for clients, you really do all the work and then the partner gets all the credit for it, which is fine. That's the way it's supposed to go. Um, (laughs) But if you develop the relationship with the client and you share your knowledge and they're coming to you for the questions as opposed to the partner, that's really how I proved my value. So like they would call to speak to me and not speak to the partner in charge of the account. Interesting. Okay. You know, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think a lot of people listening would think that it's all about bringing in business and and the customer side, but bringing up the other side first is, yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I mean, even to add to that for your listeners, as a woman, the good thing is my mom named me Samantha because I go by Sam. So when people (laughs) would come to meet me for the first time, they thought Sam was a guy. So back in the day, that was really important for me. So they'd get here and be like, oh, you're Sam? And then they'd be like, well, we thought Sam was like a guy. I'm like, yes. Yeah. So, well, let me prove to you that I can do just as much or more than a guy on your account. So I had to prove myself, which you would think that's really hard to believe. My husband was blown away by this whole scenario is about clients not wanting to work. Even when I became partner, there were clients that I worked on that told me that nothing against you, but we just can't have a woman managing our account. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that, you know, wasn't that was maybe 15 years ago. So I sacrificed that and let another partner here take over the account. I still did the work, but I didn't want the account to leave the business. I would just prove myself later on that I was the more valuable person to be working with, which I did. The clients walk in and say, I thought you were a man. You say, I've got good news for you. I'm not. I'm not. Imagine that. I'm actually going to listen to you and care about what you have to say. (laughs) Because, you know, women are just more compassionate. They're better listeners, usually. Nothing against guys. They just just are. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to what you said. (laughs) That's great. 
<laughs> oh gosh, no, you you're exactly correct. Yes, definitely more compassionate, and the listening comes with that. I think. So. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I apologize. <laughs> no, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you, we've had this come up on the podcast before with some of the other guests, but those ladies. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but they're probably in their 60s, you know? Right. So we were talking about in the 1970s, maybe, and, yes. and even earlier. And so, yeah, to hear about, because you're talking about the 90s and early 2000s, right? Right, because I'm That's only 47, amazing. so it wasn't. Wow. <laughs> it's not that long ago. Wow, wow. As long as we're on this topic, is there anything that you can identify that helped you get through those situations or things you've done in the firm to help? change that perception with clients? I mean, how have you made a difference in that area? Well, the good thing about these days is that there are also are more women who own businesses who okay. don't want to work with men, <laughs> who, who <laughs> want to work with women. <laughs> and if you really think about it, the gentlemen that own these businesses, they have a CEO or a CFO or you know somebody in their accounting department that usually is a woman. So that actually has worked out better for me because they like dealing with other women. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't anticipate having this conversation. This is good. Yeah, no. So, and then usually when I get a new account that's where there's resistance or hesitation, you know, you have to work twice as hard as a guy would have to do to prove yourself on the account. But usually you can do it and it just takes time. And then they realize they were silly to think that it really matters what your gender is. Yeah. Yeah. In all seriousness, that's always the thought I have is really who cares? (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) He's the best person for the job and let's just get the job done. And why are we even talking about this? So exactly how I feel. And that's our mentality and our culture here at our firm now. So I've kicked that glass floor, ceiling, whatever you want to call it, out of the way. And there's no resistance here to whoever wants to work on any account. Okay. Well, before we get out of this subject and or out of the, you know, talking about the firm, tell us about uh, Garble and Winslow. You've talked about the size a little bit. Do you have any particular specialties? Are there industries that you tend to be more focused on? Or what makes the firm different or unique? I would say we do most of what other small firms do in our area. The only thing we don't do is government contracting or publicly traded company audit because there are people that specialize that in this area and we're so close to DC, the large firms take care of that part of it. So we don't engage in that. So we have a lot of clients that are like bookkeeping clients, compilation review clients, or tax compliance clients. And then of course, our audits really all have to do with nonprofit entities or some for-profits, but mainly nonprofits. All right. yeah. And we do have a, you know, a payroll department, like you know, an ADP or Paychex. We do offer payroll to our clients and our firm has done that forever. We also work as an outsource to other CPA firms. So when we first started, we were the first people to actually get a mainframe computer and all the firms around us, smaller firms didn't have the resources to do that. So we would do their work for them in our office and outsource it, send it back to them. Okay. And we still do a lot of that kind of work for other like small sole proprietors. Okay. Now, is the other partner more of a tax partner then since yours your special Yeah, he, no one, nobody wants to do auditing. So he definitely, <laughs> <laughs> he definitely is more of a tax partner. We also have the two other consultants. One does more like trust work and the other one does more individual tax work is his biggest practice. But we um, also what? do everything, <laughs> unfortunately. You, you, full service for the client, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, I noticed you're very involved with the association, of course, being chair. 
how long have you been involved with the Maryland Association for CPAs? Was that sort of a long march up to chair? Or? It was. I've actually been involved since, I, be- I guess, the year after I became a CPA. So oh. probably like 20 years I've been involved. They used to have chapters. So I was really involved with the chapter that was close to where I lived. And then since I really didn't have any mentors in my business, you know, no one really wanted to help you move up or, or stay optimistic or positive. The Maryland Association of CPAs was kind of my mentor and kept me current with what was going on in the accounting world. And Tom Hood, who has always been the CEO since I've been involved, is a phenomenal speaker and so energetic and so enthusiastic about the CPA profession. Okay. So it's kind of pulled to the association really because of him. Okay. More, more or less, how many members are there? Just to About 8,000 members. Okay. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, for a small state too. Yes, definitely. Well, what do you enjoy about the involvement? My biggest enjoyment has been this year. So we do town halls where we travel to specific areas of the state and we talk about what's going on in the profession. And normally as chair, I'm not required to go. But I thought because of winning the Innovative Practitioner of the Year Award and me using AI and a small firm, I wanted to show other small firms and sole proprietors that they can do this. Like there's so much resistance to change, I find, in small firms and grabbing onto technology because they feel like, one, they don't have the resources and they don't have the time. But now it's to the point where they have to find the time to make the time to embrace technology. Okay. Wonderful. You know, I I wish I would have left more time in our podcast to discuss AI. I didn't know about that part. (laughs) I'm full of surprises. Uh, Yes, you are. Definitely. Well, let's talk about how is Garbleman Winslow using AI? Okay. So this actually is a pretty funny story. If we have time, I'll just make it quick. So I'm on AI CPA Council. And two years ago, Barry Melanson gave this presentation how KPMG was investing millions of dollars into AI for auditing. They were going to hire less auditors and they were going to take over pretty much the audit world. So as a small practitioner, I was really concerned because one, usually that kind of technology doesn't come down to me until like 10 years later. And then would I really even have any audit work if they were investing all this technology into AI? So when I got back from the conference, I called my software provider and said, what are you guys doing about AI and building that in our platform? And they're like, we're not building it in your platform. We're going to build it in the upper end platform, which is for the large firms, but not in the small firm sole proprietor platforms, which was very discouraging. And I kept thinking, well, I'm going to have to find another revenue stream here shortly if I don't find a solution. So I started Googling like everybody else, took out my Google machine and started searching for AI for small firms, AI affordable. I did all this stuff and then set up alerts in Google. And then I finally got an alert about a company. I don't know if I can say the name or not since we're doing this podcast, but it was a company in Canada. And I reached out to them and they had just launched their platform. And they said, well, if you're willing to work with us, we'll work with you and give you a reduced price on the platform to see if you really could use this in auditing. So 18 months later, I am using AI in my audit process. And I've actually contributed to help developing the software for anybody else who wants to use it. And they build a platform for small, medium, and large firms. So it's a very exciting time to be a small firm. Specifically, what part does AI play in your audit process? Let's so it helps with, a little bit. Yeah. So for those of you who don't do audits, audits are all based on risk. So it's a risk assessment software and also a sampling software. In the past, we, when we pick our sample of transactions to look at, you would like haphazardly do that or use a random number generator. What this does is it uses AI and other benchmarks or control points and looks at every transaction in the general ledger and then takes those transactions and puts them into buckets, like a high-risk, medium-risk, and low-risk bucket. So you can see how much risk is in the organization as a whole 
and then you can select your sample based on the riskiest transaction. It is amazing. Okay. Okay. You know, I was going to ask you this anyway, based on your success, you know, and moving up and, and your involvement in the profession and giving back, but now definitely with your knowledge of AI, a large part of our audience is very early in their careers, starting from like sophomores and juniors in college up Great. through your first, second, you know, fifth year in just getting started, you know, in their careers. So if I'm at that point and I want to prepare myself for the future of the profession, you know, given what you know, being involved in this, what skills should I be working on developing? Is there anything I can do to better myself, you know, to be more prepared? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the curriculum actually in schools needs to change because a lot of the basic functions of like bookkeeping is all going to be automated. I'm actually looking into implementing BotKeepers, which is a program that actually uses bots to do bookkeeping. So it replaces the lower level function. So those people who are doing accounting now need to elevate themselves to higher levels in accounting and strive to be CPAs because in the future, there are not going to be bookkeepers. So if you're going to school to do accounting and you're just going to be a bookkeeper, that's a bad idea. So you should develop your skills in leadership, communication skills, empathy, because people don't want to work with the robots. They want to be able to work with people that are working with robots, if that makes sense. Interesting. Okay. That's intriguing because you didn't tell me that I should go learn SQL. Or, oh, no. Or <laughs> I don't think you need to learn or... that. <laughs> no. And you don't really need to learn AI. You just need to understand the principles about it and how it works. But you don't need to know how to create it. Now, if you want to do technology and accounting, then go for it because there's going to be definitely a need for that. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. But I know a lot of, like the MACPA offers a student leadership academy to those who are currently in college for anybody all over the U.S. And it actually teaches you what jobs are available in the accounting profession. It actually helps you develop whatever skills that you're missing and lets you know what you should be working on. So just to put that out there to your listeners, if they are in college, they can apply for this program. They just need a teacher to write a letter recommending them for the student leadership, and it's totally free to them. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's held in Maryland at Towson University, and it's like a 3D event. It happens in June, and they get to come and get to learn, listen to people in the profession. They get to visit businesses, all types of businesses that have accounting departments or whatever accounting function within their businesses. So it's not just wow. public accounting. It's like Under Armour and all those fun businesses. There's all those kind of businesses that, are, that you get to visit too. Okay. Interesting. That's a great service and value, you know, to the students. That's beautiful. Yeah, we're trying to feed the pipeline because there's less and less. We have this bathtub effect going on right now where everyone's retiring and we don't have enough people to replace the ones that are retiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the drain is bigger than the faucet. <laughs> yes, it is. But a huge opportunity for young people, especially in small firms, if people want to run their own businesses and take over firms that really, it may be a lot of work because they may not be as technology savvy, but these young people are not afraid to use technology. So there's a huge advantage for them to get involved with a smaller firm. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's the opportunities going forward and that are here now are just amazing. Amazing. Just yeah, all we hear is doom and gloom and robots are going to do everything for us. But that's not the case. They're just going to help us do a better job. That's right. That's right. You know, for years, I heard from accountants that you know, they didn't like the routine work. They wanted to do the more analytical work, the interesting yeah. work. And, and no one likes bookkeeping or reconciling yeah. bank accounts or credit no. card statements. Yeah, nobody does. The interesting stuff is what's left. <laughs> so right. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we've been on the phone for... About 30 minutes now, and I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. I do have some final questions I end every podcast with. I need to reserve some time for that. Okay. 
From a personal perspective, I noticed you've had some involvement with some breast cancer awareness organizations. I'm sure you do many other things. Is there any you know, nonprofit that you'd like to highlight or you know, any efforts in that area you'd like to talk about? Oh, I always talk about breast cancer awareness for okay. men and women because it's very important. And you'll see in my picture that I'll have some pink in my hair. But every October, I would dye my hair pink for breast cancer awareness, and I would get so much crap for it. <laughs> because, But it was great because people would ask me, why do you have pink hair? And I said, because I want you to be aware of breast cancer, and I want you to do what you need to do to make sure that you're safe and that you're getting the exams that you need. And actually, it's like been wonderful because now I'm doing it you know, all year round. And I can remind everybody that all year round, you should be thinking about this. <laughs> this may not surprise you, but when you send me the photo for the podcast, you will be the first pink haired account Sweet. that we have on the website. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I get that everywhere I go. I'm probably the only pink haired accountant or CPA with tattoos too. So, but <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Well, one last question before we get to the finals. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? I struggled with, I know, like the first six or seven years of my career thinking that I knew what I was talking about and that having the self-confidence to actually, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a partner and I just thought, how is this even going to happen and struggling or whatever, but just trust your gut. And if you really want something to happen, you just have to really try, try really hard and figure out what is the advantage point that you need to get to so that you can reach that goal? And I would have told myself, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Some days I think maybe I should have just left and gone on my own. Things would have changed faster. <laughs> but that's not the case because I feel like you can go far fast by yourself, but you can go further with a team of people. That's true. And I love the people that I work with. I love my clients. So there's more than just getting to a place faster. It's getting there the right way. Yeah. I'm not sure either one is better. They're just different. Yeah, and, different. And- yeah. And I think Therefore, you learn a lot from the journey. Yes, you do. Definitely. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions. So the first one is usually the easiest for people. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? My proudest moment was the day I became partner at this firm where I could say, finally, a woman is in charge <laughs> in making decisions <laughs> and a firm that was run you know, by men forever. Not that it was a bad thing, but finally I've done that and I've opened the door for other women who want to move up the chain to be able to do that. That's definitely been my first proudest moment at this firm. That is an important milestone. It really is. Well, second, tell us about a mistake you made and what you learned from it, of course. And that's what we really want to know. But the bigger, the better. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Well, I've made tons of mistakes in my career, picking like the wrong software to use, picking the wrong clients to do. I would say the one thing I thought was the biggest mistake ended up being the best thing I ever did. I actually agreed to run someone's businesses that I just met who went away to jail. And that's a whole nother story that we could probably do a whole nother podcast on. (laughs) He didn't go to jail because of me. My biggest mistake on that is I should have been paid more for that. Okay. (laughs) You were totally breaking the rules of my podcast here. You're bringing all this stuff up at the end. I'm so sorry. We'll just have to do a continued, to be continued. Oh, that's right. Part two, AI. Part three, jail. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who knew CPAs could be so exciting? Wow. Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's leaving out the pink hair even. You know, that's pink hair is nothing compared to this other stuff. (laughs) True. True story. Beautiful. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? 
the best advice comes from probably my parents. Hmm. My dad always said, kill him with kindness, no matter what anyone says to you. And that has always worked whenever I've been frustrated or wasn't treated appropriately. Because if you return with kindness, it's harder for them to be negative and derogatory towards you. So I've lived my career out that way, killing everyone with kindness, even if I don't feel like being a kind person sometimes. And my mom always said to believe in yourself because you can do anything. You have twin powers. So I have a twin sister. So when we were little, we couldn't do stuff. She just says, you just need to activate your twin powers. So that's what I do. So whenever I think I can't do something, I just turn on those twin powers and I just trudge forward. Is your twin sister an accountant? (laughs) She would say no. (laughs) 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 But she does like government contracting, accounting, like contract maintenance or whatever that is. So, but she does do accounting in her job, but she would not say. She went to school to become an accountant and after, like everyone else, after two years, switched to business management because she's like, I can't do this. Okay. All right. Darn. A little, yeah. a little too much of a stretch probably, but I was going to try to go for another podcast right now. I just, you know, <laughs> <book it>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're night and day, totally night and day. <laughs> Well, well, thank you. Wow, you gave us two pieces of advice at the end. So that was good. That was, you are full of surprises. This has been fun. This has been fun for sure. Thank you very much. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I would love to share any stories that would help your listeners because the accounting profession is an awesome profession and we can be rock stars and we don't have to have the same stereotype that we've been, I guess, molded into over all these years. That's true. That's true. Well, for our listeners, as Samantha mentioned, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited the website, you definitely need to for this episode. We're going to have show notes for Samantha's episode, of course, and we're going to have a really big picture of Samantha and some of her pink hair. So it's going to be a new <laughs> a new item for us. So please visit us online. It's whereaccountantsgo.com. In all seriousness, we have a new blog there that has career content. We have a couple books and we have some other short publications for employers as well, all on the topic of accounting careers. So once again, you can check that out at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Samantha, this really has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for your time and let me share some of my story. No problem. Thank you to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.